0: Hey there! If you've been enjoying the Unchained Binge podcast, you should know that this podcast, like everything else we do here at the Escape Collective, is member-funded. That means we're funded by, well, you, if you're already a member. And if you're not, we hope you'll think about becoming one. You can head on over to escapecollective.com join to sign up and become part of a pretty awesome community. It's a community that supports this podcast and the others on the Escape Collective podcast network, as well as everything that we write about bikes and more over on the escapecollective.com website. It's also a community with a very active Discord channel where we sometimes do live recordings of podcasts, by the way. In other words, there are lots of reasons to sign up. Our monthly memberships start at $11.99 USD, or you can save 30% by signing up annually. We'd love to have you as a member. And again, you can head over to escapecollective.com join to find out more and sign up.
1: This is the Unchained Binge Podcast. I'm Kaylee Fretz, and we are going to go deep on Netflix's new Tour de France docuseries, Unchained. Today is episode six, Plan B. In today's episode, we watch one of the world's best bike racers be inexplicably bad at bike racing. We learn that one of the world's best sprinters can't remember his shoes, or unfortunately, when there is still a breakaway up the road, And we debate whether there was any real drama inside Yumbo Visma. Let's get to it. Joining me today, we've got the same crew as episode five. Welcome back, Abby.
2: Hello, hello. Thank you for having me.
3: And Johnny
1: Long, reclined as ever.
3: Relaxed and thankful for being here. And Kit, welcome
1: back. Thank you for having me. Where where should we kick off today? This episode introduces us to Alpesen de Kooning, uh kind of an up-and-coming team, home to one of the best riders on the planet. It also gets into this sort of conflict, real or imagined, between Watt van Aert and his needs and desires, uh, and... <sighs> Jonas finger and the yellow jersey that he wants to win. Where should we kick off?
3: Let's start with the the real elephant in the room, which is a nickname we never knew existed until <laughs> this series came out. Is this just our our, our ignorance as English speaking press who don't necessarily cover Jasper Philipson in all his now revealed glory? But did you, were you aware? Were you aware that his nickname was Jasper Disaster? I feel I I read enough Het News to surely have been aware of that.
1: This 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 feels like an internal team uh, mm-hmm. nickname, and and it's not really nice. <laughs> it's you know he he he's not like the sprinting stallion or like something <laughs> you know uh, <laughs> sort of related to a skill set or a talent. It's more like he forgets his shoes on a regular basis, and so therefore it's called Gasper Disaster Phillipson. Uh I didn't know it existed. No. I would be interested to talk with uh, like some of the riders that he raced with back when he was sort of coming through the ranks, like at Hoggins Berman, for example, at Action Hoggins Berman, mm. uh, where he raced in I think it was twenty eighteen, kind of on his way into the the upper echelons of the sport, and whether he has been this way the whole time. Uh, I mean, clearly it's it's a it's a personality trait deep enough for them to have mentioned it numerous times <laughs> in a relatively short episode in which vast, vast swaths of information are just completely left out. And yet, this was it was determined that this was something that we needed to focus on. Like, three or four different times it came up in, in this episode.
4: My favorite part about it was Christoph Rudhoff's dripping derision of the whole thing. Yeah. He was just so done with it. It's like, oh, we've got to get rid of this nickname. We have no room for it.
1: Uh, See, I I took that as we have to get rid of him forgetting his shoes. Mm -hmm. Like he needs Mm -hmm. to stop forgetting his shoes so that we can stop calling him Jasper Disaster. But he also needs to stop drawing attention
4: to it. Stop drawing attention to the idea that he's this whirling dervish.
1: Well, regardless, uh, it's a bit sad for him.
2: Like he probably forgot his shoes one time. And he—that's been his nickname ever since.
1: Yeah, Matthew Poel said
4: he's often off in his own little world. Or what did he say? It's, he he—he uh, he lives in his own in his own world, which kind of indicates to me maybe it happens more than once that he does. <laughs> he is a bit forgetful, and he, he's a he's a bit of a dreamer. Um, I don't know. It endeared it, me to him, and they were ganging. Well, uh, who we saw were ganging up on him,
1: it, but, but ganging up on him in kind of an endearing way, like with the exception of Rudolph, his his sort of general, <laughs> one of his the two brothers that are the, the GMs of, of the team. Um everybody else seemed to find it kind of endearing. Like like yeah he's 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 Jasper. He's just that's just who he is. He forgets his shoes. He, he 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 lives in his own little world. I did find it endearing. And I also f- it, it, for me it was a good reminder that often <laughs> the way that these riders are sort of portrayed Frankly, by us in the media, because we don't generally actually know them that well, is not always the best reflection of who these people are as people, right? Because we view them in an athletic context. Like by the time we are talking to Jasper Philipson, his shoes have been found, <laughs> and we don't ever hear about that bit. We're just, we're just, you know, we're post stage that he's either won or lost, right? Like that's the things that we we're talking about. And that, for me, it was like we need to go back to one of the old sort of standbys in in sort of pro racing bike media was like the at home visit, and it doesn't happen enough anymore. And I actually genuinely think like, this is the sort of thing that you might find out you might you might go visit a rider, do like kind of a long interview, do a whole sit down thing, do a big profile, and in the process, one of their buddies tells you their actual nickname and explains why. And that's the sort of like good stuff that you could get from these kind of reporting trips. And I I want to bring them back. I would like to bring back the at-home visit uh, for for this reason alone.
2: I feel like before this episode and before getting to know Jasper Disaster a little bit, I've always just thought of him as like the other guy on Alpha Centauri because they have Matthew Vanderpool who they got into a little bit in this episode. Um which bizarre decision from pretty much all parts in my opinion. <laughs> But yeah, I've always I've never like really known that much about Jasper Philipson, and he's always been like the backup to to Vanderpool on this team. So, I liked getting to know him. I feel like he's one of my favorites now. I love a guy who forgets his shoes, like that's hilarious.
3: There was also the the great bit which I'm sure will become a meme as soon as we figure out how to screenshot net like scenes in netflix without it just delivering a black screen so if anyone could explain that to me that'd be helpful but it's when he's like laughing about something he said and then the the caption was "chuckles self-consciously <laughs> which i really enjoyed and i feel like that could just be used all the time for everyone
4: what's interesting to me about the Phillips and matthew van der of it all though and the the very heavy emphasis they put on having to select from a small team because they are a small team apparently um which they're not Really, they weren't even last year, really, a particularly small team. And they had Tim O'Leary who, who they left at home. And they chose Jasper yeah. Philipson. I know he was leaving the team, and that was a big part of the drama. But Tim O'Leary was a stage-winning, you know, multi- he's, a, he's one, of, one of the best sprinters in the world. And Philipson came in the top three on six occasions in 2021. So that, as soon as they started waxing lyrical about how Matty van was the only one who could win stages, I thought, there's a guy on your bus who's probably got more chances on paper than Matthew Van does. Yeah, sure, he wins them in more interesting ways, and when he, and, and he, you know, he takes opportunities to get there. But this guy can win bunch sprints, and there are more of those.
3: The one thing I never saw coming was Kit campaigning on behalf or against Tim earlier erasure, and I just really like <laughs> that that's no
4: it's not necessarily that it's just that it's this is part of one of my problems with this episode which I'm afraid you'll hear a lot of um is that there were and you've already mentioned it that there were loads of bits that were left out and this is and and they just really really hammed up the um the back foot that De Sinterkönig are on and they were never that you know even before Matthew Vanderpoel dropped out sure they wanted him to win stages and they wanted you know, for some reason him to show that he could do the Jira and the tour successfully. But it just I was just found it very tedious that they were trying to tell this story when it's so clearly not true to anyone who knows the sport and watch the race.
3: Well, and they do kind of provide the context where the team like exists with like around and because of der Vanderpool and like their how they're trying to make like build it out into it into a bigger thing. But you know, it, it it it's like it's overselling the underdog story again because the hardest thing to to acquire in cycling is a rider of Vanderpool's calibre, and that is such a huge head start. Even if you don't have like, um, like thirty top top riders like an Ineos or someone or a Jumbo Visma, like having a Vanderpool, I think if you had to decide between the two, you'd probably go with Vanderpool, right? Rather than having like, if you had to choose between Ineos or Vanderpool, if you're starting. Team from scratch, I think it's pretty level. I don't know, maybe I think you go Vanderpool. Can we talk about the Vanderpool storyline? So, so
1: this would be a storyline that was absolutely aimed at people who already knew who he was, right? Because that that sort of like him not performing only matters if you know how unusual that was. And I know that they kind of set it up by saying that he was one of the best in the world, but unless you kind of like truly have seen him race at the peak of his powers and seen him just absolutely dominate entire pelotons full of professionals i don't think that those the sort of opening scenes of him being terrible and falling off the back and all the rest i don't think those mean much so i thought that was an interesting inclusion uh, first and foremost it felt a little bit yeah like like more kind of tilted toward the the cycling fan than the the very casual very casual fan there's also a couple like weird moments in that whole thing so uh did any of you, did any of you stop for a second when he was like trying to get into a hotel room? Oh my god, it was my favorite not get into episode, a hotel room. Sad sushi picnic. It was so <laughs> but, good. So I'm I'm mostly the, what I'm referencing is the fact that uh, Matthew Vanderpool was charged in Australia at the World Championships f- for um, apparently some some like young girls, young women were were like sort of knocking on his door and running away and he like chased them into their room
3: the night before uh, the, the world championships that's why the night, the why night before he was the so world championships yeah.
1: uh I, I, I think the charges have all been dropped uh, or so, they've been figured out in some way but this is a big deal last fall and i just i just like again of all of all the shots to include like the uh, you have to assume that in a 39 minute episode whatever this is like every single shot Is pretty carefully selected to do something, right? And I I couldn't help but think, like, is this some sort of weird, like, wink and a nod toward all the people that know what's about to happen? Like three months, three months later, it was just a very strange. It was weird. It was weird. It was just a funny image, though. It was a very funny image, but like, so there's a clip. There's a clip at the beginning of it of him like trying to get into the door they didn't actually need he could have just been having a picnic um like in a a hotel hallway anyway I I just found the whole thing given the sort of context around Vanderpool and what we know happens later the whole thing was just I couldn't tell if it was like
3: some editor just having a a a giggle at the whole thing I think it's also just because like some people will label him as quite a he won't like play up to the media, like his quotes and in interviews are always fairly dry. Like he, cause he's such a big star, he kind of doesn't want to encourage any more sort of attention to his orbit. So maybe that was the one moment of all of the filming where he actually just showed a bit of proper humanity of not being able to get into a, a hotel room. Um, but the other thing when you're talking about having already already needing pre-existing knowledge of Vanderpool is if you're watching this for the first time, have no idea who he is, do you know if he is a sprinter if if he's a climber? do you know like what he's he's just like he's just introduced as a guy on the tour who can't get into the a hotel room and that's pretty <laughs> much it and and he knows a bit about Jasper Philipsen. like if you'd watched it as as like not having known anything, you'd be like Jasper Phillipson he's the guy Vanderpool's like this wacky side character brought along for the ride that is true, and it's weird.
2: I mean you have to wonder like what the team was thinking knowing that Netflix was going to film this year of the Tour de France and sending Vanderpool to the Giro before the tour and he's not he's not like a seasoned he's very 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 good but he's still like relatively young when it comes to that kind of load. Mm. I mean it's not I don't know. I thought it was really I was very curious about why that would have been a decision that was made and I guess it worked out cuz they did the spin with in, but yeah
3: what about uh when Vanderpool was shown training and retching into a gutter on the side of the road did, did that that was was that there to like show people like yeah being a pro cyclist is not glamorous like yeah you may be like popping champagne in like a budget hotel uh, French hotel but you will also be just in a gutter with like a Belgian man patting your back
2: he was doing a test and well you have to go as hard as you can possibly go
3: Right. Well, on the,
1: on the line about like, I, you know, I've never seen anyone do efforts like he has, I think is an interesting one because it's kind of pushing back on this notion. Again, you have to understand the context around Vanderpol and how ridiculously talented he is that like he is a he's a rider that can skate by on talent. It is very, very much in opposition to that to that idea that he is out here like literally puking on the side of the of the road. Okay, so so moving on for Vanderpol, because frankly he didn't really do anything in this Tour de France, and the only reason he was included is because he is Matthew Vanderpoel, which again, if you don't know who that is, probably probably made no sense, and and it, it, you know, the character was not developed particularly well, uh, or I should say like sufficiently. They didn't they didn't dedicate that much time to him. It was more about Philipson, uh, and Philipson's kind of like quest for this stage win. Uh, which also then brings in Walt Van who we will get into later in the episode, talking about Wat and, and Jonas. So that was a kind of a nice bridge between these two kind of bits of the bits of the narrative. And of course, kind of early in the episode, we get we get Philipson's uh, celebration for second place, which was a, a highly embarrassing moment. Uh, I will say that the show did a very good job of increasing my empathy for Jasper Philipson in that moment. Because last summer, watching that happen, you're just like, how did he not know? Like how, how, how? I mean, literally, he can see what well, art. It's not like you finish like minutes in front of him. It's like on the straight, if you looked ahead, you could see him up there. So how did he know? And so I I I I, to be perfectly honest, didn't have a whole lot of sympathy for 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 Jasper for, yes, for Phillipsum. But then you see him like talking to his his partner and just kind of devastated and more than anything embarrassed and i think embar- embarrassment is one of those emotions that is is really sort of it hits all of us because we've all felt it sometime uh yeah I, I i liked that bit because i do feel like it it in terms of sort of like getting me to engage with a character i think that was particularly effective
4: yeah when he says um they're all going to laugh at me. I was just like, "Oh, mate."
1: And we did. Which, just to be clear, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was there was um, a fair amount of laughing that was happening in the press room, uh, <laughs> for better or for worse. For better or for
3: worse. Ah, uh, yeah. We're all human. We've all been embarrassed. Yeah. yeah, it was it was great though. Like when we saw everyone. Like that's why they had all those boom mics running after people. Like in the aftermath of the stages, and it was like. Sort of an Alan Partridge esque moment where he's like running away with his wife, and it's like, "Oh, don't worry, like no one really even saw it, to be honest." And it's like, "Uh, no, we kind of, we kind of did, but you know, I guess what else do you say, say in that situation?
1: Yeah, yeah, that oh, was rough. I, like I said, I liked it. I liked it from like a character development perspective, but I did not like it because it made me uncomfortable having to watch it again maybe uncomfortable
3: but probably you know it's it's the same with like when Roglic lost the tour and you know other characters where there's like a, a fall from grace, like riders when there's a fall from grace or you know hardship and then they come back it like it it makes you like them and Jasper Philipsen will have so many more fans now after this this portrayal so I mean well yes it was embarrassing you know short term bad for Jasper long term Best thing maybe to ever happen to Jasper Philipson outside of actually winning bike races.
1: Mm. I mean, I, I think it warrants mention that, on average, I would say that the Alpecin De team has has significantly above average hair. Is that accurate?
3: Yeah, and I think it's something because Alpecin have been sort of a. They've been around cycling for a while and used to sponsor another the Katusha team and before that the Giant team which is now Sunweb no not oh, what are they now DSM, DSM. DSM. anyway it's changed today as well I changed today again um, but it there does seem to a theme that every time there is like the star rider has a really good thick head of hair on them your Marcel Kittles, your I don't know can't think of literally anyone else at the minute but then with Alperson De Kernick, literally all of them the Rudolph brothers who must be into their forties and fifties, magnificent mains. So maybe it's like a sort of tie-in deal where they're all just like dunked in it every day. Just for
1: anybody not aware that they, you know, Alpecin, one of the co-sponsors, makes shampoo.
3: Caffeine, well, ca- caffeine shampoo, that is German engineering for your hair and supposedly, well, I mean, if they are using it, then it's working. I guess that's the whole point. This is, I'm learning about advertising in real time here. The other thing to say, just before we move on from that, that stage where Philipson celebrated early, was we got a bit of uh, sort of, it's not like direct revenge, but when Philipson was questioning Wout van Art's attack and how he managed to stay away, and I I, uh, I wrote down he called Wout van Art's attack impossible and it's not normal, which if you remember when there was the Yumbo visma documentary when pagacha won the the Tour de France from Roglic they included a lot of stuff about the Jumbo Visma guys questioning Tadej Pogačar's performance on that final time trial which you know is kind of when you're controlling it and you get to set the narrative i mean it's slightly unfair so it's kind of i've i felt at least a bit of retribution there
4: and back then Philipson was on Pogačar's team
3: ah oh, great point but yeah because at the time that that attack with Wout van Aert going off the front in the yellow jersey was absolutely audacious and the manner in which he held all those sprint teams off was absolutely outrageous and like dropped Vingago and Pogaccia and everyone and it was and it was also off the back it was so early in the tour it was off the back of the tour the year before where he won the Von Two stage won a sprint stage and won a time trial um he'd also come
4: second in every stage so up until then yeah so he was he was fueled by passion and anger
3: yeah yeah so um Yeah, I don't know. I think that was, I think it was, it was good to include, I think, because that was definitely, that's definitely a theme and uh, an angle and a narrative that was discussed. And we'll probably get into it in later episodes, how this all culminates as we approach Paris. But I think it's, it was good to highlight how exceptional those performances were and that there were people being like, this is uh, outrageous, you know, and beyond what people thought is possible.
1: Yeah, that one of the explanations for Phillips and thinking nobody was up the road is that nobody could possibly be up the road, right? Like that, that which you know you kind of buy, right? There's a there's a charging peloton. Like, how on earth could anyone stay solo? But he managed to. He managed to. Well, that that brings us kind of nicely to, Waffenart, and, and the wow, well, the conflict that is portrayed within. The show, particularly in this episode, also a bit in what was it episode four, um, and that conflict is basically is basically this 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 tension between Wout Van Aert wanting to win stages and and kind of riding for himself, and also needing to work as a as a helper a domestique for Jonas fingergo either in the yellow jersey or trying to get the yellow jersey right. That's the fundamental tension. And I think that the producers of this show have kind of identified that as a potential source of drama. And the question is, was there any real drama? Was it, you know, kind of played up? And we have a bit of an answer from Wildfunder himself. He actually spoke to media this week. And, well, who dropped the quote in here? We can read the quote out from him. Abby, what does he say about his portrayal in this in this show?
2: He says, I was finally able to watch because strange but true, although I play one of the leading roles, I did not know what would be seen? It is quite disturbing that stories were written in the documentary that are not there. For me, the series is focused on commotion. Jonas and I are best friends. The focus is on moments in which it is difficult to make the right decision, but there are also so many moments in which we have strengthened each other and worked together. It is a pity that it that that has been removed.
1: What are our thoughts on this? Is it overdone? Definitely. Yeah. Is it necessary for the show?
4: Well, I mean, they were trying to stir up commotion and they had, I mean, when you introduce an episode with the word disaster over and over and over and over and over again, you have to find another example of it in order to have a mirror to the and storyline. So, you know, in a sport which is so team based and at least to the outside world, it's really, really, really emphasized that we're all working together. There are probably I mean there are always going to be um conflicts within teams and different personalities clashing, but yeah. The the most obvious one is probably the Van Art Vingigo one, because Van Art wins stages, Vinger wins win stages. Um before it would have been uh, yeah, I don't know, a, a, a Cav Wiggins setup. Um you know, it's when you've got those two prolific champions in a team, you can you know, there's an obvious storyline waiting to be told. Um but yeah, I mean, it, it's it was so dialed up, I think. And uh, when uh, he was when they made such a thing of him not waiting for Vingegaard when he crashed towards the end of the stage, um, I uh, I might have cursed at the TV because mm-hmm. you could still see the convoy right there, and Vingegaard was getting back on his bike. So they were maybe thirty seconds off the back, and he had a bunch of teammates already. So for uh, so for that reason, that, and for a few others. You know, for people who know what they're looking at, when you look at the race footage, um, it was very clear that this was all a bit exaggerated, more than a bit exaggerated, I think.
3: Um, I'll I'll play devil's advocate slightly and say that wow well, he's already like won all the stages he could and he's got the green jersey and it's all gonna work out and but he for some reason he just needs this extra stage to carcasson and you saw it on the team bus beforehand where he's like it's like something's like well i'd quite like to go to the, for the stage and yeah, everyone's it's just the word, like, actually yeah and it's like dude what is wrong with you like come on like have we not got enough here like at this point we're just tempting fate if we're gonna keep on you know going for it like this and does he really need to do that? And even if, like, there are other teammates behind, it's like, surely, if you know, Jumbo-Visma especially is so desperate to win the Tour de France, and like at the time, still, you're like, is is Pagaccia gonna manage to get back on terms? And they finally got the yellow jersey back on their shoulders. Surely, you do everything possible that even if it's the whole team is there, you drop back just in case because you're also the strongest rider in the race.
1: So my my thoughts on this are basically that. Like, the, 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 the things that they show did happen, right? And the source of the over-dramatization is essentially what Wout says in that quote, which is that they didn't show a lot of the other side. So when we saw the, this exact same thing happen in stage five, in the in the Roubaix-Cobble stage, it was, we saw it essentially, like, uh, we saw it resolved by the end of the episode. And the, and the resolving of it was the fact that Wout did eventually wait and... Basically saved Jonas Fingergo's race, right? Like went back, dragged the entire peloton back up, and what did he end up losing? He ended up losing like 13 seconds or something like that. That that was that was relatively minor when it could have been sort of a minute plus. Now at the time, we didn't know that the Gren on stage was going to happen. That he's going to take minutes anyway. That would have felt like a race ending moment without Wout Vanert's efforts. So so we saw we saw that same, exact same conflict set up in that episode and then resolved within the exact same episode, right? And I think that in this one, what what did kind of bother me was that essentially like it's set up and then not resolved. It's left kind of unresolved because it's left with Wout not deciding to go back. But I will I I I will absolutely maintain that like unless Van Aert is acting in that scene in the bus where he's like, actually, I would like to do this. He's still asking to not do what the rest of the team wants to do. Right? Like he is still doing that. And I, I just, because it was resolved internally and it ended up working out just fine. I don't think it's really relevant to, to like whether that thing actually happened. Like there's no question that there is a, a fundamental tension between what those two riders want to happen and what they need to happen. And just because it ended up being resolved doesn't mean that the sort of the, 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 the core of the drama wasn't there. I think what the show was missing was the fact that it was resolved, was the fact that nobody came away from that pissed, and that's what they didn't show. But sort of like the, the initial sort of the kernel of initial drama that still existed. Like that moment still happened on the bus. You still had Grisha Neerman being kind of awkward about it. And. Like, what do you, they just didn't resolve it at the end, which I think is the, the that's the over-dramatization for me.
2: But that was editing. Like, it's Wout Van Aert, and it was a relatively chill, or was on paper a relatively chill stage. If it hadn't been for multiple crashes, then it would have been a pretty straightforward stage, and that was before the stage. They There was no way they were going to know that Jonas was going to go down on that stage. While putting his hand up to potentially win the stage is totally legit from a rider who could potentially win the stage. And when you're a rider on a team like that and you feel good, you have good legs, you need to be able to put your hand up and say, look, I think I can go for this stage. Guys are doing that on every single bus, regardless of what the team's ambition is. That's That happens in every single team meeting. There's always somebody who's like, I feel really good today. I would like to go for the win today. And that's like not out of the ordinary at all and totally played into the the whole like, wow, is the villain story perfectly for Netflix, but is absolutely like unfounded in whatever kind of like malicious thing that they're trying to spin.
1: I don't think it felt particularly malicious though. I think that's the...
2: I think that the way that they edited the responses... Were were meant to make it seem malicious, like the way that they edited, like Jonas, Jonas from the side, like where you couldn't actually see his facial expression at all, but the way that they had the camera, like, made it seem ominous, and it was probably a shot from like a completely different day on the bus, but three days <laughs> later, it, it fit yeah. perfectly into that moment. Like,
1: it the 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 villain thing felt more malicious in the previous Yambo episode, in the in the Rubai episode, to me. In this one, it just felt like. This, uh, it, it, I mean, it, it's it's like I said, absolutely an attempt to make it seem like there was probably drama where there where there wasn't drama. But at the same time, if you've got a rider who has basically said, "I don't want to follow the yellow jersey around all day," probably valid from him. That's still like the whole team is not rallying around the yellow jersey, which is in theory what you what you would end up with like for example with a with a team sky in 2014 there's they don't bring a sprinter right there, there's there's nobody on that bus that's like i would like to go for a stage win today that does that's not happening so I I, I I i i don't know i struggle with like completely pushing aside the fact that they used that i think that that was fine i think that they just didn't resolve it. Like they just they they left it by leaving it kind of open-ended at the end. Doing all the cuts around the crash and what well, Vanern not coming back and all the rest of that stuff. That's the part that feels disingenuous to me. The actual bit on the bus only feels disingenuous because they didn't resolve it for me. Because that that, you know, what happened on the bus is what happened on the bus and and you've got a guy who's like I would like to do my own thing and the team leader who says I would like you to not do that. <laughs> and and that actually happened. But again, didn't get resolved and that's the kind of weird part.
4: The the race lead at that point was 2 minutes 22 seconds, so there, I would just, I, I don't know. I know that's you can lose that in one day. Um obviously. I don't know. I it, it, I think yeah, the context is what's lacking here and that's I think something that runs through the whole episode. You know, tw- two, cause he could have he could have gone off, you know, he could have um even if if God had needed a bike change or several bike changes like he did on stage whatever it was five at risk of losing more than 30 seconds then yeah i don't know it's uh it's just that there was yeah it's like you said like we've said over and over again there was too much There was a lot of information missing from this episode
3: i I think the one counterpoint is that uh are probably just terrified of tade pogaccia at all times and just like worried about what he could do it in any circumstance i think the one i also think the one thing that will make like less angry and the the reaction to the whole way it's portrayed less sort of crazy is that everyone's very well it seems like if you're sort of aware of drive to survive you're already aware that they do ham things up for dramatic effect because they're making a tv show whereas if drive to survive didn't exist and we're watching this without any of that context then you would be like wow Yumbo Visma what what's going on there but you kind of do know in the back of your mind that when sort of like uh, like looks to camera or like huffs are uh, cut in you're like okay that's just to help tell the story you know
4: it's very good news for Yumbo Visma for this year though because an angry wealth and art is clearly a very useful one
1: how is this so here's a question how is the do we know how the show's been uh received in, like, Denmark, like our our fans pissed off at Art? because I guess I, I guess my, my fundamental thing is like I didn't come out of this episode feeling like Waffenart was that villainous. I f- I, he was way more villainous in the earlier episode, and so I don't think like for it to be over dramatized, I would have to come away being like, oh man, that was the bad guy, but he didn't really. In this Mm. one, like he just sort of came across as a guy who wants to win He just and asked to do so. (laughs) Yeah, he's just really keen. And so I I didn't feel, I don't Yeah, it just didn't feel that over dramatized to me. It just felt like a guy who was, who who was basically willing to, you know, to increase the the chance of losing the yellow jersey by a quarter of a percent so that he could take his chance to to win a stage. Like that was, he was willing to do that, to do that, to make that swap
2: but i don't think he's upset with being cast as a villain i think he's upset with being shown as a bad teammate which in cycling is the same thing as putting like a huge a black spot on your hand for davy jones locker i don't know that was a weird reference <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh wow <laughs>
2: Uh, um, like being a bad teammate in cycling is like, you can get labeled as a bad teammate and that will follow you for your entire career. And I I don't think that WoW is like, oh man, they made me a, like a cartoon villain. I think he's like, they showed me as a bad teammate and that is not true. And that is why I'm upset. And I think like to Johnny's point, the there are a lot of people watching this show that know that it's a TV show. And there are a lot of cuts that have been made that are fabricated or like cut from different things to make something seem more dramatic. But a lot of people who watch the show don't think that they think that these people are literally just like as they're cast on screen, as I have been given a talking to from Ronan McLaughlin about my opinion of Christian Horner. So like there are definitely people who are watching this show and they're like, wow, wow is a really shitty teammate. Why would he do that to this cute kid from Denmark? Jonas Spinego, who's like such an underdog. And that's just, like, totally false. Like, he's one of the best teammates, one of the most selfless guys in the Peloton. And so I'm, I totally see why he's pissed off about the show and how it's portrayed him.
1: I guess that's my point, is that it, the issue is that it wasn't resolved. The issue is they kick off this narrative that he's a villain, and then they don't fix it, which is what they did in the previous episode. In the previous episode, they, they kick off the exact same narrative, and they fix it by the end of the episode. They say, actually... He took this amazing giant pole and he saved Jonas Vigigo's entire race, right? And granted, maybe there's just nothing in that particular. There was nothing in that stage for them to 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 use as that example. But I, that was that was the disingenuous part for me was that they set up this thing and then they didn't fix it at the end because the thing was still set up. <laughs> like I, I still maintain that like he still said the damn Definitely. thing on the bus. So like what you what you end up with is you don't have the full story of him doing a million other things throughout that race to to make sure that Jonas Fingergo stayed in yellow and then you just end up with just this one little nugget so it's it's less about it's it's like i guess i guess it's sort of two halves of the same coin here it's over it's over dramatization basically via like lying by omission <laughs> right like nothing was said in there that didn't actually happen they just didn't say a lot of other things that would have provided some necessary context. That's my issue with, with this episode.
4: Yeah, I think I think the early part of the episode with the Alpersen uh, portion does Van Art no favors either because you've got this constructed narrative. And yes, it's based on elements of truth, but there are things about um, the selection process at Alpersen, you know, with Philipson not being equipped to win stages when clearly he is, and the use of Van der Poel at all when he, well, the, the emphasis on Van der Poel at all. So it just felt like there was a lot that they, a lot of race footage that they used to tell a story that was a little bit more contrived than any we've seen yet. And I'm not saying it wasn't there, it's just that it was slightly more far-fetched for uh, somebody who knows what was happening and who can tell what's happening in the f- race footage. Even when, you know, they were talking about the GC teams blocking the, um, the sprint teams from catching the two-man breakaway into Carcassonne. And then suddenly they're still talking about sprint teams picking up the pace, but it's still Ineos on the front. And it's just like, <laughs> what, these these clips make no sense. And, um, and so it was just a whole episode of slightly, um, you know, grasping at straws a little bit, uh, which in the end made, um, yeah, everyone come off looking a little bit iffy.
1: Is this the most kind of, the furthest from actual reality episode that we've had thus far yeah (laughs) it's just just the most bullshit episode we've had thus far i
4: think it's the hardest to watch it was the it's the least tailored to or the least the least um expert friendly one the least fan friendly episode um people who knew what was going on and yeah it's got a lot to get your teeth into obviously with the phillipson being a character um but uh i think for so much of it i was just going hang on that doesn't fit um and so I think maybe this one would be one where um, non-cycling fans could get excited
3: when everyone else is raising their eyebrows. S- still better than episode one, though, I think.
1: Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, so I, episode one's still probably the most, like, making something out of literally absolutely nothing. Uh, and this is probably a close second for me.
2: The. The moment that they showed the finish, though, and it was, like, Jasper mess and mess and Wout sprinting against each other, and it was in, like, slow-mo, and the was, music was just, like... Yeah, it was great. Perfection. That was, that was the only point in this episode, other than, like, Jasper Philipson just being, like, super relatable, that I was like, okay, this is great <laughs> still. <laughs> but other than that, it's just, like, the whole episode just had me going... Yeah. <sighs>
1: Can we talk a little bit about uh, Jonas Vingago
3: on the radio?
2: Oh man, he lost his cool.
3: He always needs a bike. Yeah,
2: <laughs> always
1: needs a bike.
3: If if there was a if there was a like an Jonas Vingago action figure where you like pulled a string in the back and yeah. pressed the button, that would be like the catchphrase. It, it, it'd be need number one. Number one, I love my wife, and then number two, yeah. I need a bike.
4: <laughs> Ten years ago, that i have been selling it as an SMS notification. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. The, oh, the, I would, that would be great, Johnny. You have to provide context for the "I love my wife" part because if you just watch this TV show, you have no idea what you're talking about.
3: We 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 got hints of it, I think, in one in one of the episodes. But basically, we in during the race, like every day, um, the race the yellow jersey has to do a press conference, and so if a if a rider in the jersey for a number of days and nothing's really happening then you kind of run out of questions and so you, maybe you just try and delve a bit more into who they are and get to them especially with a ride a, a new rider on the scene at that at that level um so you'd kind of be trying to delve into jonas Finger goes personality and it turns out that no matter what question you ask like the most banal thing about like what you have for breakfast or you know what tv shows he likes, so he'd always just be like i just like spending time with my family and you know i love my wife and i love my kids and then also after every stage he'd be warming down on the rollers and he'd be on the phone to his wife just chatting i guess about anything and he's just a a big wife guy and it's surprising as well because he'd be on the he'd be on the phone to his wife a lot but then she was on the race for a lot of it as well so i mean they maybe it's just maybe this is just speaking volumes about you know how i view relationships but that seems like a lot of talking to when when all he's been doing all day is like racing a bike you know.
4: But we had Garrett Thomas's wife say that she doesn't watch the races, she just waits for the phone call, the text after the stage. So maybe she maybe he's literally just saying, It's alright, I'm alive. I made it to I finish. Sc- I have a screenshot yeah.
2: of the, the Perry Roubaix episode or the Perry Roubaix stage that just mm. is Tom's writing me, Don't worry, I'm alive. <laughs> no.
1: Be- beyond the beyond the I love my wife uh line. I, I do I, those radio calls that they've included in this episode I think were interesting in that he does not sound like a cool, calm, collected, you know, old hand GC guy, right? Like he, you can tell that this is his first go at this, right? And, and you know, if Garrett Thomas had the same thing happen to him, it would not sound the same on the radio, right? There might be more swearing, but it wouldn't sound quite so panicked, I don't think. And I did find that interesting, and I, and I you know, one of the one of the reasons why it's so hard to win lots of tours de france is that there are so many things that can go wrong and sort of dealing with those things that go wrong is a big part of what makes big champions champions right and that made me wonder whether he's going to run into problems on that front regardless of his physical abilities over the next couple of years cuz it just his reaction to chaos was not always the most yeah, little stop, or maybe he'll figure it out because that was, like I said, it was his first go
3: at it.
4: Do we know that that I need a bike was from this same stage though?
3: Oh yeah, who knows? No. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> the, the only other thing though is that like, it, when, when he said like, I need a bike, it, like, rem- the only thing it reminded me of was like, if you wake up in the middle of the night after having a dream that you're like, you've overslept for an exam, like at school. And so like he'd suddenly woken up and was like in the middle of the Tour de France without a bike. Like it was that, it was that level of panic. Um, which I think was, yeah, like that kind of mirrored the Jasper Phillips and sort of, uh, what was it again? Um, chuckle self-consciously. Like it was just like the brackets would have said sheer terror.
2: <laughs> I received a text as we're recording this podcast from a writer on Trek Segafredo, the American team that is not one of the teams featured in this uh, series. He wants me to know that he is watching episode two how did Wout get into yellow? I'm confused. <laughs> w-
3: weirdly, that's exactly the same question that my girlfriend asked me who has no idea about cycling. So it's good to know that both ends of the spectrum have exactly the same questions about
2: And he was the in the race and he's
4: confused. Yeah, he
3: was in the race, he doesn't know.
4: <laughs> Didn't your girlfriend was it your girlfriend who said that Wout was the Pixar villain? Was that yeah else?
3: that was the first impression was that he looks like a pixar villain it's the incredible he has incredible's with hair the, with the hair yeah but with then that pips. was that guy was ginger anyway we're getting too far into it but um we should
2: actually <laughs> point out that the little blonde streak in Wout's hair is not dyed that's oh, that like a birthmark
3: is... thing yeah um she also did say that he's got too much hair so then but then maybe that would maybe Van von should go ride for alpacinda koernick because too much hair seems like a Maybe he's got a personal sponsor. Yeah.
2: Man, if Wout and Matthew Vanderpool were teammates, that would be terrible.
3: Imagine the Netflix series. That's get what out any of us would do. <sighs>
1: Alright. Alright, so we've been ending these episodes by asking the question sort of what was what was missed, what was not included, that that we saw that we think was important. What uh what qualifies this time?
3: The how just how hot it was. Like it was in that period. Of summer, where I think it was most of Western Europe, where it was like a huge heat wave, and we were the race was in Carcassonne and like that sort of south bit of France that is just always hot anyway, and it was so, it was so hot that I remember one morning it might be in that Carcassonne stage actually where I was trying to interview Owen Dole and he was just so hot that he was like, sorry, I just can't do this. Like I can't think straight because it's so hot and I just need to try and cool down before riding 200 kilometers. Um, and like all the like some of the riders, like the teams were making them slushies because our, our colleague Josh Robinson wrote a really good article about how it was important. You guys wouldn't be able to actually explain the process but it was, it was about the effects of cooling the body, which the slushies did better than just like having ice on your neck. Yeah, it was hot. It was super, super hot.
1: And we went for a swim in the river that did not make it into the show.
3: Yeah, right. That was the, like, they didn't show us playing cricket with, like, the EF mechanics and drivers and soigneurs, and they haven't shown me, you, and Ian with our tops off swimming in the in the river. Which Can we know you they have footage of. Yeah, but my... The camera my, was pointed at us. It was. I, I imagine it was just, it was such a ghastly image that it was not suitable <laughs> for broadcast. <laughs> it was very hot uh i mean there's, there's so many
1: little details uh of of the tour de france that that are left out and yeah i, I know that probably the majority of, of folks listen to this you know you're already a tour de france fan you probably already listened to a fair number of our podcasts but if you are not if you are new uh yeah listen to the tour dailies that we do we do it we do an episode every single stage uh head over to escapecollective.com. you'll find them there or the Escape Collective uh, podcast channel, and yeah, it's just, it's just that's where we get into all the little stuff, right? We got a, we got an episode every single day, bringing you kind of behind the scenes at the tour. I can't wait to make those; they're super fun to make. Uh, but that is, I think, the best way that we can kind of bring the Tour de France to to your ears,
3: especially if you like the sort of nuggets where it's Mathieu Poel eating sushi outside a locked hotel room, or Jasper Philipson chuckling self-consciously that that's kind of like what we aim for that's like our coverage so if you like that we do all the normal stuff but we also do a lot of that stuff too
1: lots of self-conscious chuckling all right i think that's it from us for this episode again that was episode six we will be back chatting about episode seven here pretty soon episode seven everything for the podium get near the end all right thanks for listening everybody check back in the next episode of the unchained binge podcast bye-bye Kaylee Fretz from Escape Collective here. If you've landed on this podcast because you just watched Unchained on Netflix and you want to dive headfirst into the Tour de France and pro bike racing, I have some great news for you. The crew behind this podcast cover pro cycling in depth, 365 days a year over at escapecollective.com. We're member funded, meaning listeners and readers support what we do. So if you love this pod... Head over to escapecollective.com slash join to sign up, get all kinds of extra stuff, get past the paywall, you get the best bike content anywhere. Thanks.